coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 30th of January, 2022, the hallmark of a follower of Jesus. This morning, we're going to continue our study in the book of John, chapter 13, as part of Jesus' upper room discourse with his disciples dealing with those things that he had to say to his disciples before uh, the whole episode of the cross, crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. As we look at in these passages, our desire is that we would draw out something, not just as historical reference of Jesus talking to his disciples, but draw out truths that we can apply to our own lives. Let me read this section um, found in John chapter 13 and reading through um, 31 through 35. And when he had gone out, and that he is not Jesus here, this is referring back to Judas. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Let a little children yet a little while and I am with you and you will seek me just as you as I said to the Jews. So now I say to you where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I want to pick up two themes out of this passage and skip the one that's in the middle. And the reason I'm going to skip that it's because it's found in another text that we'll look at, Lord willing, sometime in the future. I want to talk about the idea of glory here. Judas had just left. He had just gone, and we talked about betrayal last week. And Judas had just left to go on his mission to report to the spiritual leaders of the day, where Jesus was, what he was about to do, and so that they could find him, arrest him, and do what they wanted to do to him, which was to put him to death. When Judas had gone out, Jesus now says to those that are in the room, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. What does it mean to glorify? I always like looking up uh, 
terms as they're found in Webster's original dictionary. Noel Webster was not afraid when building his dictionary of the, of the English language for Americans to pepper it with scripture. And when he comes to this word glory, he talks about being clothed in splendor. Being clothed, what a beautiful picture. Like putting on a wonderful robe. In the Old Testament, talks about the Shekinah glory of God filling the temple so that when they looked at the temple and there was a manifestation of the presence of God. And now we come back to this upper room. They're finishing up with the Passover and then this this uh, discourse in the upper room with his disciples. Now that Judas is out of the room, Jesus says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And you go, <clears throat> were the lights turned on? <laughs> what, what does he mean when he says, Now is the Son of Man? man glorified. I believe what, what Jesus was talking about here was a view to what was coming. Why, why did Jesus come to earth anyway? It wasn't uh, so he could walk among men and give an example, although he certainly did that. His purpose of coming here was to redeem mankind. And what Jesus is now picturing is what you're seeing as Judas walks out the door, as he goes and, and goes to betray him, you see the wheels now turning on that final action that brings about the whole plan of God with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on behalf of each one of us. And so what Jesus says is, now is the Son of Man glorified. You go, why? What, what about now? He says, well, Judas just started the whole thing moving. And what's going to happen is we're going to see that the plan of God is going to be manifest in front of you in the next days and hours to come and you're going to see the plan that was planned from be, before the foundation of the world manifest in your presence and God's handiwork is going to be visible to you all and God is going to be glorified in this. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. What he's saying is just as this is going to put the spotlight on, on the great, gracious, merciful plan of God, it's going to reflect back on the son who participated in procuring this salvation through his own sacrifice on the cross, and he is going to be glorified. 
I couldn't help but think of passage in Philippians chapter 2 where it talks about him humbling himself and becoming a man and as he, as he describes here in Philippians 2 he says he being found in human form he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death even the death on the cross therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what's in the heart and mind of the Savior before he goes to the cross while he's with his disciples. He says, the ball is rolling. The gears are turning. And the final moments, the whole fulcum, focus of, of the plan of God is about to come into effect. And God is going to be glorified. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the same shame, and sat at the right hand of the throne of God. Why? Because that's where he is raised up into glory, shares the glory with the Father. The process has been fulfilled and completed. I believe that what Jesus was doing here, when it talks about glorification, it was not the act, but rather the end. The end result would be God would be glorified in the salvation of mankind. We just sang a song about glory to his name. It's no mistake. He is worthy of our praise and adoration for what he has done. And here we are some 2,000 years ago. History, if we were just talking about a historical event, it would, have, it would have dropped into history and out of sight a long time ago if it wasn't that it brought about heart change in the lives of people today. And God is continuing to receive the glory. And Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. Now, now we see what this was all about. He gets the praise for what is done. I like what, what Apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In other words, some can't see it. They don't get it. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. In other words, he says, the gospel, this good news, glorifies God, who's the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as servants for Christ's sake. For God, who said, 
let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying to the church there at Corinth, remember the book of 2 Corinthians is a book where they were doubting and disputing over Paul's authority. And he says, you know, there are those that have their eyes veiled and blinded, unbelievers who don't see what's the big deal about Jesus. Well, the big deal, as he says here, is that light has shined out of darkness. And we who have seen the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So Paul, so Paul underscores what Jesus was saying to his disciples here in the upper room as Judas heads out the door to start this process into motion. He says, now is the Son of Man glorified. It says we can see the end now. It's within sight. You ever taken a trip and you go, man, there's some good things to see. You may have planned a vacation or anything and you're doing this road trip and now you're coming home and maybe you're coming up I-5 and there's exit 21. And you go, I'm getting close to home. I'm getting close to home. And you pull into the driveway and you go, ha, I'm home. And you go, well, wait a minute. Didn't you enjoy the trip? Yes, but I'm home now. This, this is where I was headed. Eventually, I get back to here. And the son is saying, I'll get back to heaven shortly. This is all what this trip was about. In verse 33, he makes this comment. Little children, yet a little while, and I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. And as I said, we're going to look at that, Lord willing, at another time. I just wanted to make note of it to let you know I hadn't skipped it. You can go to John chapter 16, and there's a greater discussion about that topic. And you can look at that on your own. But I want to go to these last two verses in this section. Chapters 30, verses 34 and 35. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And you go, wait a minute. A new commandment? You have talked about love all the way through the Old Testament. You have talked to about love all the way through your ministry. A new commandment? He says, yes, I want to make sure that you know that this is for you. This is for you. New commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you so you are to love one another. Now, many of you have been around for several years, and you know that I've talked about this topic on many occasions. And my family back there goes, yeah, we could repeat. 
everything we know is probably what you know because we've heard it how many times but anyway one of my goals has been in defining what God is talking about when he talks about love is to try and succinctly bring it down to something that we can handle so that we can comprehend so that we can deal with it. I used a definition, again, from Noah Webster's at one time. It says, love is an unselfish act that freely accepts another with loyalty and sacrificially moves to meet that person's need. And you go, wow, that's a good definition. It's too much for me to remember. Okay, anybody want to quote it back to me? Yeah, that's what I thought, okay. So I boiled it down to two words, but I wasn't really happy with that. And some of you have heard this definition. Love is other-centered. I like where it was going in the sense that the nature of love, agape love, especially that's used repeatedly in these two verses and referred to, of course, in 1 Corinthians 13 and many other places, it is an act of the will that's other-centered. Doesn't really depend on how that person responds to it. It is the desire to minister to another. And that led me to my extended definition. So you ready? So love is other-centered and ministry-focused. Other-centered and ministry-focused. It isn't just that, oh, I'm thinking about you. Which could be one interpretation of those words. But my focus is you, and it's for ministry. I want to... I want to input into you something of value for you. And I like the word ministry focus because that sort of keeps that spiritual context going when we think of ministry. He gives some examples and we'll sort of build on this definition a little bit. He gives some examples, and his best example is himself. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you. And at that point, the disciples can think back over the years of their time with Jesus. We mentioned one example in our message last week on betrayal, that they had just witnessed moments before these words, an example of the love of Jesus Christ had for Judas, in that when Judas went out to betray Jesus, Jesus didn't betray Judas. If Judas had repented, relented, turned around and come back into the room, none of the disciples would have been the wiser. The only one that would have known what Judas was about was Judas and Jesus. That would have been it.
the example of Jesus is that he is other-centered. John 15, 12 has a parallel statement to the one we find in John 13 here. It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. They have seen Jesus. From dawn to setting sun, they had seen him when he was at those high points of preaching the Sermon on the Mount and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. They had seen him perform miracles, walking on the water, healing the blind, healing the lame, raising people back to from the dead back to life. He had seen all the they had seen all that. They also saw when he had to get away and he had to rest. And he had to spend some time with the Father. But he had seen they had seen as well his interaction with them and how he had treated them. He said that love is other-centered, but it's also ministry-focused. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Part of that other-centeredness involves a denial of self and sacrifice. It's got to be that. Where if love is going to be exhibited, if it's going to be shown, it's going to involve me saying no to me in order for it to happen. You don't see this because... <laughs> Well, you're not in that role and, and you not have that responsibility. But over the years, how many times people have come and said, Pastor, do you have some money? I need some gas money or I need some help with this or that or the other. And as best we could, most of the time we did that. but it takes a little bit of time, a little effort. Even if we go and buy somebody some gas, don't give them money, because no telling what they'll do with it. But to stop what I'm doing and go and drive down to the gas station and, and, and put some money in the hands of the clerk so they can get some gas at the pump involves a little bit of time. And I don't say that to blow my horn, you would do the same. But it's going to cost something. It may be inconvenient. It may cost you physically. It may cost you mentally. It may cost you financially. Jesus says, walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What did it cost Jesus? To secure our salvation. If 
So what's the source of this ability to love? Well, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, the same author who is writing this gospel is writing this epistle, and he says, Beloved, let us love one another, which is the command here in John chapter 13. He says, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And I had a frightful discovery this week. I saw something I didn't see before, which is a terrible thing to say after years of ministry. It's just this. It's impossible to love without experiencing God's love. And you go, well, pastor, I, I would, <laughs> you know, you're pastor, but I beg to differ with you. There are lots of loving people I've met in my life. And the point that Jesus is making here, when he tells his disciples to love one another, is they can't be mission-oriented. They can't be ministry-oriented unless they know the God who gave them the ministry to do it in the first place. So you might run across a person who is loving in the sense that they're kind and gracious and warm and all those kind of things. But to express the love that's the new commandment that was given to the disciples, it can only be done from one disciple to another disciple because they both have something in common and that is they have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They know the essence of what love is, the depth of love they're learning because they have seen that love is from God and it was demonstrated as we've already seen in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so when he talks about loving one another, he's not just saying being kind and gracious to one another. He is saying be invested in others. And he's now talking one another. is narrowed the field down to believers. He says be invested in their spiritual well-being. Be other-centered and ministry-oriented. And the only way you can do that is because God himself has done the same to you. And you go, whether you buy that or not, it's something that was impressed on my heart this week. 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. In this is love, not that we have loved God, that he loved us. And send his son to be the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if love, if God is, has loved us, so we ought to love one another. We can't be involved in a spiritual ministry of edifying and building other believers up in love without having experienced that love from God ourselves. It's like a deaf man walking in and seeing someone listening to some music because they've got headphones on and they're tapping foot 
to the beat and they sit down beside him. They can't hear it. There's no vibrations in the room. And they're watching this other guy and they're watching him tap his foot and they begin to tap in rhythm to what the person they're watching is doing, but they don't get it. They may mimic what's happening, but they don't hear the music. What God has called us to do is to love one another with the love that he has loved us. In other words, he has reconciled us, he has redeemed us, and he has given to us a ministry of reconciliation and told us to invest in other believers. Continuing on from there. Because this command was given to his disciples didn't mean that they were to start loving that day and they would never get any better at it. In fact, quite the opposite. We read in 2 Thessalonians that the word to grow more than it was yesterday and tomorrow more than it is today. 2 Thessalonians 1.3, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. It's better today than it was last week, last month, last year. And so it ought to be. We get better at it as we do it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says these things. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way back to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the purpose of love? That we, that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He says, that's what this love is about. It is the refining, it is the, the movement of all of us in the direction of holiness. How can a belie- unbeliever be expected to love in this way. Can't. Doesn't know the love of God. Doesn't know what it means to be redeemed. Doesn't know what it means to be holy. Doesn't know any of those things. Only a believer can be expected to do this. And Paul calls on them and said, we ought to be doing it more and more. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, Paul uses another word for love, phileo, because we have those things in common. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. In other words, it's not a competition, but outdo one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 He's talking in verse 25, we not to forsake our assembling of ourselves together, but he says, 
Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let's spend some time thinking about how can we practice love? How can we encourage one another to practice love? 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of, of sins. Even our loving will take care of sin in the life as it seeks restoration and hope in others. So love is other-centered and ministry-focused. It's ministry-focused because the love that we have and the love that Jesus called his disciples to was God-crafted. And God-crafted in us. And he calls us to love that way. So what are we going to do about an application of this truth about loving one another? We've got another short phrase for us to think about. It's something we're familiar with. Something we probably did in school. It's called show and tell. Show and tell. Let's start with the telling part. What kind of encouragement can we give to someone else? What kind of exhortation can we give to someone else? Maybe in a letter, maybe in a note, maybe in a text, maybe an electronic message, maybe an email, a phone call, a visit, maybe a t over the table with tea and coffee. What way can we communicate our care for one another in our desire to help them to grow in their spiritual life. We were talking around the table because we're talking about prayer in Ephesians 6. We, I mentioned how many have ever been approached by someone and said, would you pray for this in my life or going on, dealing with Maybe I got a loved one that's not feeling well or whatever. And you go, oh yeah, I'll pray for you. And then that thought is taken to the far ends of the universe, never to be seen again. We go, no. If we if we're gonna pray for somebody, let's stop right now. In fact, I have something I'm going to challenge you to do. If you call me with a prayer request, if I don't pray for you over the phone, you say, Pastor, remember, you're supposed to be praying for me. Start now. <laughs> and I'll pray for you over the phone. Okay? But I think that's what we do. We exhort one another to do those things of encouragement and building up. We looked earlier on at the book of Ephesians in our study in Sunday school and the whole idea of God giving gifted people in the church 
to mutually edify and build up one another. So we can do it with what we say to one another. Say, man, isn't this beautiful here? If someone asked for me to, to put a, a display here, you might get that candle. But we have some gifted, talented people. We won't say who, but they're sitting in the back row, I'm pretty sure. Who would put this together for us all to enjoy. The table could be bare, but someone put that up. Am I right? Was this a Tina thing again? Yeah, it was a Tina thing, I figured. Did she have to do that? No. Probably fussing at me because I didn't like the candles, but that's another old story. We can do something too, can't we? We can show our love for one another. How can we help somebody in their time of need? How can we come alongside them? I love the book of Philippians because right in the middle of, of Philippians, Apostle Paul picks a couple of names out of the hat and said, I am so thankful for these people, mentions them by name, and he says, and they are, and it says in our English, they are fellow workers. And in the Greek, it's soon, that's the word with. They are with workers. They come alongside. They're there and supportive. And I know we've had some of those even this week. Amar, some of you have met, most of you have met Amar. Amar's in the process of moving. Did he get some help this week? Yes, he did. Show and tell. Show and tell. Can I encourage you to do something this week? Just do it for a week. And then the week after that, and maybe the week after that. But each day, ask the Lord this question. Would you show me somebody I can bless? And then bless them. Find somebody that I know that I can encourage that I can show or tell my love to them by examples of practical, taking a time to write a note, make a phone call, do whatever it is, or help them out with something that they need help with. It doesn't have to be long. It may be long, may be more involved, may be much more uh, than others, but to say, I'm going to start out slow. <laughs> I'm going to grow in this love for one another by doing something every day. Find somebody, a fellow believer, that you can encourage, that you can build up. And I wouldn't be surprised 
if someone did the same to you. So here in this little short segment, as Jesus is talking with his disciples, he says, I'm about to go away. Where I'm going, you can't follow. But let me tell you, God is going to be glorified in this whole thing. And I want you to be my disciples and show it to the world by your love for one another. Be other-centered, ministry-focused, and do show and tell every day. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, which brings conviction to our hearts because... As Apostle Paul wrote here, we need to be doing more. Not as a performance thing, but as an outward expression of the love that you have shown to us. May we reflect it to others. May our brothers and sisters in Christ know of our love because we have not kept silent, but we have said and done those things that demonstrate love to them. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.